five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this? Is today Wednesday? Today is Wednesday, and I am super fired up. I mean, I, I'm always excited about football, as you know, Clint, but right now I'm just sort of full of football. I'm 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 totally in spring practice mode now. The basketball's behind us, and uh, just jumping into the depth chart and uh, what we think's going to happen. And, uh, yeah, I'm just excited to answer questions and, and hear your thoughts on these things. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. I think there's going to be a lot of great conversation surrounding, you know, a lot of these things, you know, and like you were saying, we got questions about this. I think that's important. It kind of works through some of these. Obviously, we can't get to all of them. We might switch things up a little bit, and I might start figuring out a way to make sure that everybody's question gets answered in one way or another. Some will make it over to the uh, Monday mailbag. Some of those also, we'll, we'll talk about it on the show if it's a good enough question, but we'll also try to attack a couple of more questions on the show, but we tend to like to kind of dive pretty deep into some of this. So we can't get to every question, but then maybe, you know, I, I shoot you the list of questions that I'm taking the questions we're going to do on the BAM on three show. And then maybe you can go back through and answer all the questions that don't get answered, uh, kind of fall through the cracks. And if it's one that we're like, we really like this, we just didn't have time for it necessarily this week. would love to dive into it further. Maybe, you know, we can punt that for a week and then throw it to, the uh, the other side, but anyways, some of these questions are are pretty interesting. And but before we get into that, what have been your thoughts just on a more general basis when it comes to spring practice and the the videos that we've seen and the photos and you know we're trying to gather as much information and analysis from very limited you know it's a snapshot you know I mean I think people kind of freaked out when you know a Lennon is lined up at right guard you got Caden Proctor at right tackle and then you got the center, you know, Seth McLaughlin's playing next to them. And then you got J.C. Latham and Tyler Booker working with the second team left side. And people are like, you know, what's going on with Tyler Booker? He was supposed to be one of the best offensive linemen. And it's like, you know, there's only so much that you can take from a, a photo. But has there been anything to you that's kind of stood out so far? No, I mean, uh, in, in relation to all that, I would just say that spring practice, there's a lot of experimentation. There's a lot of moving guys around. I mean, there's a lot of you never know what's going to happen during the season. And you want every kid on the team to have some level of been there, done that in terms of, you know, offensive linemen that cross train at a couple of different spots. Uh, you're still just trying to find what a freshman does best, uh, where he's comfortable, where he feels awkward, and you're just moving parts around. I mean, I think a great example that everyone that listens to the show knows, Clint, is during the bowl practice when Jalen Milrow, was seen uh, taking reps at wide receiver. You know, if that had been a photo uh, it's in spring, people would just jump to the conclusion that Milrow's been moved to wide receiver. And as we saw, uh, and as we've seen since in the bowl game, and now in spring practice, Milrow was not moved to wide receiver. They just look at a few things all the time, and you never know what they have up their sleeve. If they ever wanted Milrow to, to catch a ball in a game, it's good that he gets reps at wide receiver. Uh, I, I just use that as an example of we should never see a photo and assume a big change. Uh, and and, and I, I, I just think that's kind of dangerous. Now, that's not to say that Proctor won't be at right tackle and that T.J. Ferguson doesn't play some at center. Um, but I, I just would caution everyone, let's enjoy the photos. Let's discuss possibilities but let's not assume too much uh, right. based on the photo or even a brief video. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And that's the thing. You know, if Terrence Ferguson is taking snaps at center, that does tell you something. They're at least trying him out there, you know, and we had Whoa. talked about that in, in my initial depth chart projections. Yeah. Uh, before we got the announcement that Darian Dalcourt was going to be coming back, it was like you got Seth McLaughlin, you got James Brockermeyer, you don't know what they're going to be able to add to the transfer portal. We've talked about that at length and why that is. Uh, you know, who do you have that can really play center? I mean, because you're one injury away from being in big, big trouble. And I'm not just talking about, you know, is James Brockermeyer at 285 pounds ready to step up and be your starter? That's one question. But then you're also looking at a situation where it's like, who's behind him? So, you know, that was the big question mark. And just to me, from a size perspective, you don't want a 6'7", Caden Proctor, 
snapping the football. I mean, you just don't see six, seven centers. So it's like from a, you look at the size, you look at the athleticism, who kind of possesses some of those traits that maybe you would look for, you know, at that position. And Terrence Ferguson made sense. So, you know, I included him as a possibility. He's taking some snaps there. You know, he could maybe play some emergency center if they worked through the first three guys, you know, where you had a couple of injuries. Darian Dalcourt, he has a history of injuries. Uh, Seth McLaughlin, he has a history of injuries. So if, if they have a, a running back 2021 type of season where you start working into that depth a little bit, who's the guy that ends up making that transition to, to provide some depth? It's certainly not going to be a, a receiver or a running back or a defensive lineman that's never, you know, not played offensive line. The most logical conclusion would be a guy like Terrence Ferguson. You know, and here's the thing about it. People have kind of made a big to-do about the offensive line, Jimmy, and just, you know, with Darian Dalcourt playing left guard right now, a lot of people are not happy about this. And I posted a video, we've talked about this on the show, was it last week or the week before, and, you know, saying why fans should be excited about the fact that he came back from a depth perspective and everything else, and just fans did not react well to it. And I don't think they're looking at it the right way. They're looking at it as because he came back, he's going to be given the opportunity to start. We don't want him to start because we don't think he's good enough. We don't like that he's back. And it's more so like, hey, in my opinion, if he's not good enough, Ken Randolph wasn't good enough. So they found somebody else to start at left guard, you know. So I, it's very possible that they could take in that same route. But if, you know, injuries start to happen and really you start working your way into your depth, you want a guy like Darian Dalcourt to be on your roster. And so what have, what's been kind of your take on, you know, Darian Dalcourt and him so far through the spring, still very early, only four practices, but he's getting a lot of the work at left guard. What do you think about it? Well, it's a, it's an overwhelming positive to me uh, because it's an option. I mean, the more options you have, the better. Uh, and he's a good option. He he's played in the games for a couple of years and has done okay. It it has not been a, a disastrous situation with Darren Dalcourt at all. Uh, and and now he's playing a position where maybe just maybe he might even be more effective. We won't know until he's practiced more at guard. And then we'll see how he does in the scrimmages and, and then the games. But look, uh, experience is vitally important on the offensive line uh, from a recognition standpoint. And here's another thing, uh, Clint, that I think is really big about Dalcourt at left guard is as of right now, you have a left tackle. You have one inexperienced player, one guy who just has not really played college football on the offensive line. And you're putting him at left tackle, Elijah Pritchett. Uh, and it's amazing, and it goes to show what me and you have been saying all the way since last fall that, hey, guys, uh, the coaches love Pritchett. Now, he's hurt. Wait till he gets out there, but the coaches are really high on this guy, and now we see that what, what we're saying was true because now here's a guy who hasn't played, and where's he? what's he doing? He's starting at left tackle right now. So if you have Dalcourt at left guard who's played the center position – the center's one of the center's chief job requirements is to get all the offensive linemen lined up. The center knows the offensive line assignments better than any offensive lineman that's out there. Now you're moving down court to left guard. Pritchett's inexperience is hugely helped. Elijah Pritchett can always just look over to his right and say, Hey, DD, help me out, man. <laughs> DD, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do here. DD, who do I pick up? And Dalcourt literally can tell him who to block. Uh, that, that, that's a big part of it, too. If you put Proctor at left guard, Proctor's got his own problems figuring out who to block. He's brand new. You know, Proctor's got to figure out his own thing. He, he can't help Pritchett. I mean, I think, frankly, I think it's such a big deal. People may disagree, and if you disagree, that's fine. And if Clint disagrees, that's fine, too. But I'm saying if Proctor's a starting guard, you might have to switch him and Booker over. Booker might have to be moved to the left side to help out Pritchett if you're keeping Pritchett on the left side. But it is a problem when you have an inexperienced lineman. It's not can he block, it's who does he block. Right, and you always see those photos of centers where, you know, they're, they're kind of leaned back in their stance. They've got already got their hand on the football, but they're kind of squatting back a little bit and they're kind of surveying what's happening in front of them. And maybe they're pointing a guy out or something. That's, you know, you got offensive linemen who point out who they're supposed to get or, or who they're supposed to block or whatever, but the center's doing that all the time. I mean, he's making the line calls. He's the one that's kind of starting the process of, hey, call out your guy. If you think that a guy's blitzing or coming on a blitz based off of alignment and things like that, you make that call. You, you identify the Mike linebacker, you know, all those different things. And so having that responsibility 
is a lot, and we've talked about that and how much more pressure that probably puts on a guy like Darian Dalcourt, maybe uh, eliminating that responsibility on top of having to, you know, you get to eliminate the snap in the football. That's two big responsibilities. It's just a matter of, hey, get the, get the guy in front of you blocked or get the gap that you are responsible for blocked or whatever the case may be. That might help him, you know, and and Caden Proctor, he would be lining up if he did end up starting at left guard next to Seth McLaughlin. So he should be fine. What you're talking about is uh, Elijah Pritchett and the fact that you're kind of at that point leaving him on an island. So you would have to have some trust there for sure. I don't want anybody to freak out, though, because everybody talks about, oh, man, you know, we saw these signs with with uh, Chris Owens. A couple of years ago, we saw these signs with Kendall Randolph last year. He's, you know, spent a lot of the spring working with the first-team offensive line. It happened all throughout fall camp. He started the first couple of games. We should have went ahead and got, you know, some other guys involved. Chris Owens ended up being the starter for the entirety of the season or most of the season at right tackle. There's also the example just from last year with Damian George, right? I mean, this was a guy, Mill Ikior Jr., ended up missing the entire spring due to an injury. And Damian George was a starting right guard. And did he even crack the top four guards on the roster by the time fall camp rolled around? No, because you had uh, Emil Ikior Jr., you had JVN Cohen, you had Tyler Booker, and you still had Ken Randolph. And if there would have been any sort of issues with those three, Randolph would have been making the move back. So he wasn't even in the top four, and he started the entire spring. And so a guy like Tyler Booker, who ended up being your starting, and I mean, he didn't, he only started the last game, but he ended up being as heavily involved in that guard rotation as either of the other two guys. He spent the entire spring working at right tackle or 80 to 90% of his snaps. We don't know what was happening behind the scenes, but every time we saw him in, in practice videos and, and at the 8 day game, he was at right tackle. And he ended up being involved the entire season at, at guard. So you could see something similar with Caden Proctor. They might you know already be preparing him to play tackle in the future, but then they decide, hey, I mean, right now, I feel pretty good about their tackle spots. You know, Latham's certainly going to be, he's a surefire starter, and I feel good about Pritchett. So if you've given or want Caden Proctor to have the best opportunity to get on the field, the, the last place that he's going to get on the field is where we've seen him in the practice photos, which is at right tackle. As long as J.C. Latham remains there, that's his least likely path, even before Tyler Booker, just because there's more seniority there. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think anybody should freak out. They're trying different things. There's still time for for a change. And so, that you know, and the difference between Darian Dalcourt and, and Chris Owens and Kendall Randolph, Chris Owens had, had spent a majority of his career as a center. He had played some tackle even in some games, but he was 6'3", didn't have extremely long arms. He lacked length. He was he was limited physically on that front. He w- he should have been a center, but he was struggling to snap the football late in fall camp. During Dowcourt, by the way, had done enough where they were like, we feel like he's one of our five best. Let's get him in there. You're not going to put him at tackle. So at the last second, Owens switched from being a center and having all those responsibilities to being a tackle, playing in space. And he didn't play well. I, I will agree with that. Ken Randolph was a blocking tight end who had never gotten really any starts or any significant action on the offensive line. You know, th- th- don't compare these two to Darian Dalcourt, who's been a starter in high-profile games at a position that's, you know, if he goes from center to left guard, that removes some of the responsibilities. But it's not a huge jump. It's not like going from center to tackle. And and he performed way better in the time that we've seen him than Owens or Randolph. So I, I just don't put those three in the same category. Yeah, I don't either. I just think he's the guy. I mean, I guess what a lot of fans do is they're always trying to identify the weak link. Okay, who's the weak link? And let's replace him with a true freshman star recruit. Yeah, let's I mean, get another five star in there. That's like an annual thing. I think that we do as fans is, okay, which one of these offensive linemen is the worst? And now let's put in – our latest five-star friend and look it it just it just doesn't work that way I mean Caden Proctor has to work on his body he has to adjust to the speed of the game believe it or not there's probably not a lot of Chris Braswell's Dallas Turners and Jeremiah Alexander's in Iowa high school football so he has a lot to learn while learning to play faster and I can't stress it enough about offensive line play in particular. It's not whether you can get someone blocked. It's if you're blocking the right guy. Because you may never miss a block all season, but you are you may never get put it this way. You may never get beat or physically whipped all season long, but you have done the offense no favors if you're consistently blocking the wrong guy. 
that's getting your quarterback hit. That's getting your running back hit in the backfield. Uh, you've got to know who to block first and then worry about whether you can actually get the guy blocked. Uh, and, and that's what Proctor's in the process of. He's learning the offense, learning the scheme. It's complicated. It's not in high school. In high school, it's it's man-to-man, basically. In college, it's 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 complicated. The other team is stunting and looping and blitzing, and, and there's all these things. It's not about when you get lined up and you know who to block. It's, hey, what happens when the will blitzes? What happens when the safety blitzes? What happens when the defensive end that's over there lined up on Latham? What if he loops into my area? Who do, who do, do I let my guy go and pick him up? He's got to know all that stuff. And you're not going to learn it overnight. But once he learns it, and if he's reshaped his body, and if he's proven he can actually block SEC defenders, then maybe he's got a chance. Well, and but and if- and Jimmy, just to and I'll let you finish because you're making a great point here. The perfect example of what you're saying right now was the 2021 offensive line. As much as it was limited from a, a star perspective or just a talent perspective, their biggest issue was that there was leakage. Now, granted, the right side was pretty consistent leakage. But other, I mean, you had Seth McLaughlin, you had JV and Cohen, you had Emil Ikior Jr. The communication never was there. And a lot of that people blame Doug Marone for. But that offensive line, there was leaks coming everywhere because guys couldn't get a hat on a hat and get the right guy, the correct guy blocked. And that made a significant difference in the protection that Bryce Young was receiving on a snap-to-snap basis. 100% correct. 100%. Even when Alabama's offensive line isn't great, there still isn't many instances of our guys getting whipped, physically beaten and just pushed out of the way and I'm going to get the quarterback. That doesn't happen a lot at Alabama, not even when we're not great. But what does happen, and it happens everywhere else, is confusion, is, is out-schemed, out-chess-matched, out-extenode, uh, where your guys are confused as to who to block. It happens in the NFL. It happens in the NFL. Guys that have been playing six, eight years, sometimes they block the wrong guy. So I'm not trying to say it's a, a, a sin or, or the, the, a, a measure of intelligence. It's complicated. Yet we have fans that believe just because a kid was a five-star in high school, he's ready to play uh, the offensive line when he shows up. It has happened. It will happen again. Proctor is a strong maybe about whether he can play right away and we can name some offensive linemen who did but we can name a much 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 longer list of who didn't and that's just what I want to caution people it's why Dalcourt coming back is so big if Dalcourt didn't come back then the whole team's success depends on whether Proctor's ready to play maybe but now we don't have to depend on that now it's just gravy now it's something that can push us from good to great if it happens. Uh, but in the meantime, I think Dalcourt is fine. I love what you're saying about this is not Chris Owens. This is not Kendall Randolph. It is an entirely different situation. You've also stealing your point from earlier too, Clint. You've also made the point, hey, if Darren Dalcourt entered the portal, his list of suitors would have looked a little bit like Caden Proctor's list of suitors coming out of high school. I mean, any any anybody would have taken Darren Dalcourt in the portal anybody texas uh clemson maybe even georgia i don't know if they're returning all five guys ohio state i mean he he could play anywhere i think fans that think he's terrible are just i mean i just strongly disagree with that take i'm not saying he's first team all sec or has a long nfl career ahead of him i'm just saying he's he's not terrible at all he's actually a good sec lineman well and you know one thing that I understand the frustration from fans because the the history has not been great, you know, and, and I'm trying to think of more examples, but you do have Chris Owens who, who returned. You had Kendall Randolph who came back. You had guys like Jalen Moody, who I thought was a good player, but, you know, Deontay Lawson really started to show down the stretch last year. You know, how much would he have benefited from going ahead and becoming the starter early in the season and just being kind of forced into that role? Because before – before you had the extra year due to COVID, um, you know the, the the extra year eligibility. Before you had the transfer portal to go and just fill all the, all your needs. Sometimes it was like we don't have a choice. You know, uh, DJ Fluker, redshirt freshman, still probably not quite ready, but he's got to go out there. You know, he's going to be our starting right tackle because he's the best that we have. And once he got comfortable 
and everything, he became a really good player. But if people remember back, I mean, it was not pretty when he first became the starter. It wasn't. I wouldn't say that it was pretty when Chance Warmack first became the starter at left guard. Totally uh, true. So you know, it's it's a matter of you know before it's just it was hey it is what it is you know sink or swim you've got you're all we got and I think that Nick Saban tries to protect himself from that but you've seen stars be born through that process. And now maybe you're not seeing that as much. And maybe that's something that frustrates fans. So I want to look at this from both sides. You know, when fans get frustrated and stuff, are you keeping a potential superstar offensive lineman, another one off the field in Caden Proctor by having Darian Dalcourt, and you show this unwavering loyalty to him? And what I would like to see more from Nick Saban or on Nick Saban's front, which I think that we did. You know, he gave Ken Randolph a couple of games, but it wasn't working, and he made a move. Never really made the move off of off of Chris Owens. You know, he gave Damian George an opportunity. I want to say he gave Amari Kite an opportunity too, at least to some degree. I know in some injury situations he came into the game. I think some fans would have said, what, what, why are you wasting your time with J.C. Latham at, at right guard? I mean, you know, he's a backup guy. He's not really playing much. Get, go ahead and throw him out at tackle. And it might be rough in the beginning stages, but by the end of the year, and I believe this too, uh, if I'm speaking candidly, I think that if you would have done that in games, you know, weeks two, three, or four, by the end of the 2021 season, you've got a lot better of a player at right tackle than you would have otherwise. Now, granted, that's not a guarantee. You know, it could have hindered his development. It could have hurt his confidence. He, he might not be the player he is today if that would have happened. But also, you know, I don't think it's necessarily as much of a mind game as it is with quarterbacks. With quarterbacks, you got to be very sensitive about that stuff. You know, if you throw a guy out there too early and he sinks, I mean, he, sometimes they never recover. With an offensive lineman or, or another position, I don't think that's as big of a deal. They understand there's going to be growing pains, and, and you know that's just part of it. But so I don't want to completely discredit the the other side of the argument. But I will say that I think that it's just a safe fallback option. And if if Darian Dalcourt's not getting the job done, I'll be the first person in fall camp. Where if we're hearing things, we're seeing things. You know, if you get into the the MTSU game and he's not playing great. Uh, you know, I'll be the, the first one to step up just like we did. We criticized Chris Owens and we hated to do it because he's a great kid, great guy, Ken Randolph, great guy. But, you know, we also have to be honest and upfront with the people who listen to our show and we weren't happy with the performances either. So we criticized them and we'll do the same with Darian Dalcourt if that continues. Um, but I just think that let the stuff play out. I don't think it should be, Hey, let's go ahead and crown a true freshman, our starting left guard over a, a fifth year senior who's got starting SEC experience. And that's what it kind of boils down to. So anything else on that front before we move on, Jimmy? Just one quick thing. I, I also, a little bit of a prediction more than anything, but I think if Dalcourt's not cutting it at left guard, I don't think Proctor's going to get first shot at it. Frankly, I think it'd be TJ Ferguson, Terrence Ferguson, who they're looking at at center too. I, I think the Ferguson photo and video that we we saw is very likely an attempt to find a, a role for him. Or I, I, I think Ferguson is probably by this point in his career sort of ready to turn a corner and, and, and it's him every kind of a now or never thing with him. And uh, I think if all of a sudden the staff says, you know what, Darren's just not good enough. I think next up's Ferguson and not Proctor anyway. Yeah. And I mean, it, people's got to understand, I mean, playing guard, I understand Evan Neal made that transition and it wasn't a big deal. Uh, he made it pretty flawlessly. Then he made the move to right tackle pretty flawlessly. And then he kicked over to the left side pretty flawlessly. Some guys are just able to do that. And I understand that Caden Proctor, big body guy, very similar in stature and, and athleticism and things like that to Evan Neal. So you just assume same same cat, you know, shouldn't have any issues. That's not necessarily the case. You know, they're going to be pulling a lot more, playing out in space. They don't have to handle the SEC speed. That's a good thing as far as edge speed is concerned. Uh, but you got to handle, you know, coming off the combo blocks, working to the second level, which you do that stuff at tackle, but it's a little bit different at guard. And I mean, with his size and his length, those shorter, stockier, more powerful defensive linemen, if he's not playing the leverage game like he should, they can get underneath his pads, and, and now he's getting driven off the football. And while at tackle, the, the defensive end's got to worry about space as well. He's got to play and respect that a lot more than an interior defensive lineman. So just your leverage points, things like that, it, it's just it, it is still two different positions, and we can't automatically assume that that transition is going to happen super smooth or easy. I believe he can make it. I think that he will be an option at some point. But like I said, Tyler Booker ended up being pretty much, I would call him a third starting guard last year, spent the entire spring at right tackle. So, I mean, it might not happen till fall camp, might happen sooner, might not happen at all. But people just need to, you know, it's something to watch, but it's March. And I think people are kind of freaking out a little bit too much for it being March. Uh, but, no. 
So we'll move on to some of these questions. We spent a lot of time on that, but felt like that was important because it's just, I mean, I'm getting swamped with questions about it all the time on my DMs. Uh, but Hampton18 asked, how eye-opening were Saban's comments about liking the players around the quarterbacks to you, and has that lined up with any of the buzz that you've heard so far? Last year, he basically said the inverse with Bryce Young at the helm. And what Nick Saban said, just so people know, uh, as he finished up his, his comments talking about the quarterback competition, saying development at that position is really going to be a critical thing for our team this year because I really like the players that we have around them. So, Jimmy, what are your thoughts? Well, nothing affects a quarterback more than his cast. And by that, I mean a great, great, great quarterback is going to do very little for your team if he doesn't have wide receivers that can get open and catch the ball or running backs that can help him out or an offensive line that can keep defenders off of him. And conversely, you know, you can have a good surrounding cast, but if you have a bad quarterback that can't hit the receivers and produces nothing that makes the defense have to do anything out of the ordinary, then, you know, that's not helpful either. What you need is an adequate quarterback that's surrounded by really good players. Then you then you got something. So I guess what Saban is, is really saying here is, I sort of like what we're seeing at wide receiver, and I sort of like these starting five offensive linemen we got. And I think we have good backs. Uh, what we need now is a quarterback that can help us take advantage of those things. He doesn't have to be Bryce Young, uh, but he's looking for, you know, the way I interpret the comment is the quarterbacks have to get better. The quarterbacks have to get better. Ty's got to get better. Milrow's got to get better. The freshman quarterbacks have to learn quicker. Every, the, that position needs to get better because I kind of like what we have around him. I think it's largely an encouraging comment. I liked it because I have some confidence in Simpson and Milrow and even the freshman quarterbacks. Uh, I, I think they will get better. I just also agree that that they haven't really played. Milrow's played the most, and he hasn't played a lot, and, and they're really missing a lot of game experience. But I think we'll know how confident Nick is in the quarterbacks. You know, here's where we'll sound the alarm. I'll leave it at this. Here's where me and you, me in particular, will sound the alarm. If May 1st rolls around, and you start hearing Alabama's name connected to quarterbacks in the portal, I'll, I will panic. I will <laughs> flat out panic. I will panic on this show. You will see me panic. It, it will be, I, I, and it will be obvious too that I'm panicking. Probably, I'll probably have a beer in my hand doing the show, even though we record usually very early in the morning. That's so funny because you're right. I mean, this entire time, it's been Alabama doesn't have a whole lot of interest in transfer portal quarterbacks. They like their options that they currently have. If that's changed at the end of spring, that should be the only thing that tells you. That doesn't mean that they they just they don't believe in those guys and they're ready to give up on them. It's that they're saying we didn't see the growth and development that we needed to see to the to the degree that we needed to see throughout the spring, and we need to find some fallback options in case that continues to be a problem. So that's a phenomenal point. And I definitely think that that is something that everybody needs to be keeping their eye on. Cause if that happens, that is reason to sound the alarm. I don't believe it will happen. I don't, I don't believe either. it will happen. Yeah. But, yeah. I but, agree. Um, but it's certainly worth mentioning. So we I'm get, wary of it. Yeah. It's Saban's comment that made me, that's where I went. I mean, when Saban said that, I'm like, that means he thinks he can win on offense if he's got a good quarterback. Hey, but you know, he says, I like the players that we have around them. And I think that that's important that he specified players because otherwise I would have said, hey, you know who's also around the quarterback? The offensive coordinator. And I think the philosophy that is going to be implemented offensively for Alabama is going to be a lot more – I say this, you know, obviously the, the system for Bryce Young was very quarterback friendly. You know, it's going to put you in situations where you can thrive, where you can rack up production, where you could get all the accolades and things like that. So that's, this is not necessarily what I mean. But I'm saying that it was like, hey, if you don't have just that it factor, and I'm talking very few quarterbacks do. We're talking about all these quarterbacks in the NFL draft and who's going to go number one overall. And you got the freak athlete in, in Anthony Richardson. And you got Will Levis, who's got a cannon for an arm. He's big and he's fast as well. And you got, you know, CJ Stroud, who's precision and accuracy and, and big and, you know, can play with from within the pocket and he thrives from within the pocket and all these things. There's only one quarterback, one of them out of all these quarterbacks that are probably going to be first-round draft picks, probably all go in the top ten, that they say has that it factor, and that's Bryce Young. So it's rare, uh, even for really, really good quarterbacks. Um, that's a Joe Burrow thing. That's a Patrick Mahomes thing. You know, So if the next quarterback does not have that Bryce Young it factor, which is not the end of the world, 
they all can't. And then your chances of having back-to-back you have that it factor is pretty rare. So um, I would even argue that like Baker Mayfield in college had that it factor. Kyler Murray didn't have the it factor. Very wow, electric player didn't have the it factor. So even though they had back-to-back number one picks, I don't think they had back-to-back quarterbacks who had that quote-unquote it factor. Just, I mean, something about them. Uh, Jalen Hurts on the next level, he's got it. So if you don't have that, you need to have the other things in place. Now Alabama's done a very good job, whether it be from a philosophy standpoint, taking pressure off of their quarterback, offensive line. They really like a lot of the, a lot of the problems from a, a, an attitude standpoint have been eliminated offensively. Uh, that's not just on the offensive line. That's a wide receiver and, and just any issues that they've had, guys are gone. And so I think that with that, with some of these new arrivals, with the freshman class, with the offensive coordinator, you know, you got Malik Benson coming in. You think you've added a dynamic playmaker, a wide receiver. You don't feel like there's going to be a tremendous amount of drop-off from Cameron Latou to C.J. Dupree, or that's what you're hoping for. You've still got a stable of running backs. You like what you've seen out of some of those guys. So, yeah, I'm not surprised at all that Nick Saban said he really likes the talent around the quarterback this year and what they have from a player standpoint. And I would also throw in offensive coordinator as well because I think it'll it'll help and aid the quarterback or whoever ends up being the next quarterback. We're going to take a quick break, uh, but we've still got three more questions, and we're going to answer all of them. So we're, I'm excited to do that. We'll do that on the other side. Jimmy, stay tuned. If you're listening, stay tuned. We'll be right back. And welcome back in to the Bama on 3 show. Uh, Jimmy, we're just going to go ahead and dive right back into things. Uh, next question on the list comes from Bama Lou, and they just simply want to know, what will we notice different on defense? Wow, that's a great question. Um, Kevin Steele is taller than Pete, older than Pete. We'll notice that. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, we have to remember this, and this always sounds like a defense of Pete. Uh, I, I don't intend it that way. I'm just stating some facts here. Pete Golding ran Nick Saban's defense. Nick Saban is a hands-on guy. Why anyone on the planet Earth thinks for one second that Pete was doing something Coach Saban didn't approve of This is Coach Saban's defense. Yes, Pete was calling it. Yes, Pete was coordinating it. But Coach Saban's heavily involved. Uh, That's not going to change. Now Kevin Steele will call Nick Saban's defense. Now, here's the big change that's coming. But I don't think it's in the way necessarily it's called, although some people suspect Kevin Steele might be a little more aggressive than Pete when it comes to blitzing. But I think the big change, and I think I'm probably stealing Clint's answer Uh, because I've seen you address it on the board. Uh, I think Alabama ran a lot of nickel rabbit last year for the first time since 2016. Again, not a Pete thing. We did it back in 2016 with Jeremy Pruitt. Um, I I think nickel rabbit is is not going to be around, not because it didn't work, not because we won't do it again one day, uh, just simply because last year our best 11 on defense included Will Anderson and Dallas Turner, and this year our best 11 on defense – probably is just one outside linebacker and three defensive linemen. I, I think that the defensive line has improved and the depth is good. Uh, I, I think it's going to be bigger. I think less nickel rabbit. I think by less nickel rabbit, there's going to be a greater emphasis on stopping the run. They're going to be better at stopping the run. Uh, and and uh, I, I don't think the pass rush numbers will be great. But I think the overall defensive numbers uh, will offset that to the point. All that really matters is how many points you give up. I mean, that, that's really all that matters. I, I think in that area, Alabama is going to actually improve uh, this year. And I, I would say slight improvement. But in terms of what's different, I'll just guess maybe a little more blitzing. But but the elimination of, of Nickel Rabbit is, is the main thing I would say that's going to look different from this year to last year. Yeah, and, and you saw a lot of zone blitzing. I mean, you saw Brian Branch get sent a ton. You saw Malachi Moore get sent some off the edge. You saw uh, Henry Toto. You know, there was such a big emphasis put on his pass rushing ability last offseason and where he had improved in that area. And and he was asked questions about it and, you know, what advice had he taken from Will Anderson Jr. and Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell and all this stuff. It was big storylines, right? Uh, and you did see Henry Toto get sent a lot. When they were running the cheetah package, there was a lot of times where he'd get sent. So it wasn't like they it, Pete Golding didn't send pressure. I think he replaced with pressure. Added pressure, some, you know, but 
I think the biggest thing for fans was how was Alabama not able to win more consistently with its front four? Like you just send four, it's your front guys. It's supposed to be this dominant pass rush. You got the two dominant guys or who are supposed to be dominant. And then you can sprinkle in in the cheetah package, another fantastic exterior pass rusher in Chris Braswell. Plus we were talking about Jamil Burroughs being, you know, coming along as being that complimentary big bodied interior pass rusher or, you know, Justin a boy be some or, you know, whoever. And you just didn't really see that. But yeah, that, that, where I went with this answer when I when I answered it on the the Monday mailbag is talking about the fronts and it just feels like you you saw a lot of four man fronts in recent years from Alabama because of the way that offenses play like you very rarely see your standard typical three four defense three defensive linemen two outside linebackers essentially creating a five man front you do see that some depending on the offense that you're playing but it's really a, a four man front and. It's all dictated like it. There were games, and the Texas game is a a perfect example. You got B. John Robinson, the best running back in the country, going to be the number one running back off the board in April's NFL draft. You know, you so see, you're going against Texas. You want to beef up that that defensive line a little bit. You go a little bit more heavy nickel. You going against Auburn, a team that was very limited from a passing perspective, but very effective running the football. Kansas State, same way. You know, Deuce Vaughn had, had a, a tremendous amount of success, and you had the rushing ability from the quarterbacks. And, you know, they were a strong rushing team, top 20, top 25 in the country. And so Alabama played those teams with a little bit more of its heavy nickel packages. But then, you know, on a standard week-to-week basis, a lot of times your your heavy nickel was more so like your – it felt like the base defense, and I call it base just simply because it was the most often used – was the nickel rabbits, or I would just call it the rabbits package. It could be dime rabbits, nickel rabbits, uh, but it was with that a little bit of a lighter front. I think more of the default moving forward will be heavy nickel, and then there will be certain offenses that you play where you'll go a lot more of your rabbits look, uh, and that might be you know kind of you might have games where it's kind of balanced between the two. But one thing is that you could look at almost any game, and last year I would say nickel rabbits or rabbits was the most commonly used front. And so I think that will be a little bit more, a little bit different moving forward. You got Justin DeBoye coming back. You got Jamirian Latham. You've added some very talented, bigger bodied edge guys that can to- do the inside out thing. And and I think that, you know, just the, the run defense really suffered last year. Uh, it was not great. I want to say it was ranked, definitely ranked outside the top 30. And that's just kind of, you know, you've seen that, I guess, in a year or two sporadically throughout the Nick Saban era, but most of the time they force opposing offenses to be one-dimensional and it, the defense this past year did anything but. You had teams have success through the air. Uh, you had teams have success on the ground. Tennessee could do both. LSU found some success with both, even though the, the, the running backs didn't have a ton of success for LSU. You had the quarterback uh, compensating for that with, with success on the ground. So I think it's about playing the offense the way that they want to play it, getting back to forcing uh, opposing offenses to be one-dimensional out the gate or taking away your run game. Now how are you going to beat us? And, and some of these offenses are set up for that, but at least you can say they can't fall back on it, you know, as much as in, in years past. But Jimmy, talking about the inside linebackers and the defensive line, you know, kind of we've, we've discussed this a lot, but I want to get into it a little bit more. You made the argument that Alabama's defensive lines – They've been good. You know, a lot of people act like that they've been terrible up front defensively, and they've had some good players. Uh, expand on that a little bit and talk about what you mean when you say that. Well, you know, it's – I think when Alabama hasn't had a Quentin – it's been a while since Quentin Williams. It's been a while. And before that, you know, there, you had, you know, uh, you know, Deron Payne or Jonathan Allen or Marcel Darius and and, and Sean Robinson and, and Jaron Reed – Alabama's had a lot of star defensive linemen, and it feels like it's been a while since Alabama's had a star player on the defensive line. Uh, but that doesn't mean the defensive line hasn't been good. I just think that the, the bar has been raised to the point that people expect something that really Alabama's never done in the first place. <laughs> I mean, for instance, uh, when we say, gosh, what was wrong with the pass rush? The pass ru- what is wrong with the pass rush? It was supposed to be great, and, and it's not. Well, maybe it wasn't great, but you know what? It was second in the SEC when someone said, no, no, I don't care about pressures. I care about sacks. Second in the SEC. You know, and, and, and again, I, I'm not saying it was great or it lived up to expectation, but 
you know, people say, you know, you know, defense, the defense as a whole is just bad. It was second in the SEC <laughs> to Georgia. Uh, and again, it's not where we want it to be. It's not where it needs to be. I think the defensive line as a whole is the same way. When people say defensive line is just not good, they get pushed around. If that was the case, they wouldn't be second in the SEC. They wouldn't be second in the SEC in sacks. Um, and Alabama's going to have two defensive linemen taken in this draft. Byron Young and DJ Dale are both going to go. Byron may even go day two. Uh, they are both certainly go no worse than day three. And if someone out there wants to make a list for me, and this is what I do every time. It's officially driving everybody nuts, but no one ever answers me. <laughs> they, it, they just get mad that I say it. And that's, hey, if y'all want a list for me, the defensive lines that are better than Alabama, y'all go right ahead. Please. And, and, and I'll, I'll grant you, okay, there's five better than us. We're sixth. We're not really six. We're actually better than that. But I, I just say, what defensive lines are going to have more than two guys drafted? What defensive lines did a better job recruiting than signing Jordan Renaud, Edric Hill, Hunter Osborne, and a five-star in James Smith? Who did better? There are schools that did better. There are schools that may have more than two defensive linemen drafted. But you're talking about a very, very short list. Is Alabama as good on the defensive line as they need to be? No. Is it terrible? Not even close. It's good. In fact, it's really good. I'm right there with you. The way that I will try to describe it, if you were to take Jonathan Allen off of you know the 2014, 2015, 2016 defensive lines, they'd still have Jerron Reed and Dalvin Tomlinson and Ashawn Robinson. They'd still be a really good defensive front. Still would be one of the best in the country. But that one player that you have to account for on every snap wouldn't be there. And that's what I think Alabama is missing as far as this interior defensive line. It's hadn't been bad. Jimmy's a thousand percent right. But when you look, I mean, and, and here's the thing. I think that that's actually affected the inside linebacker play too. And I don't think we talk about that enough. Go back through this with me, Jimmy. Rolanda McClain. Dante Hightower, C.J. Mosley, kind of that 2008 to 2010 range. Terrence Cody, Marcel Darius. Those are guys that you had to take into account every single snap. It, I'm not saying it was at the exact same time, but Terrence Cody certainly was a guy just from a sheer size perspective, made things a lot easier. Doesn't mean Rolando wasn't a great linebacker and Dante Hightower, et cetera. 2013 to 2017, you know, you had C.J. Mosley, you had Reggie Ragland, you had Reuben Foster, you had Jonathan Allen, you had A'shaun Robinson, you had Deron Payne. Uh, uh, all of those are pretty elite players. I would say that Allen and Payne certainly are in that elite category. Robinson was an All-American. He was kind of fringe, but you had Deron Reed, you had Dalvin Tomlinson, also good players, but they were more so complimentary. The ones that you look at is Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. You look at 2018. The year that Dylan Moses was a second-team All-American, and everybody thought he was going to be a top-ten pick at linebacker. Quinn Williams was the defensive lineman that was in front of him. They had other good defensive linemen, Raekwon Davis, and the list goes on and on. They had good players, but you had that one interior defensive lineman that you had. He just he wrecked game plans, and you had to take him into account. The last few years, Christian Barmore, really good player. Fadarian Mathis, really good player. Byron Young, really good player. None of those are absolute game wreckers where a, an offensive coordinator stepping on the field on a, on a given Saturday saying, this guy's a headache. I'm Now, Will Anderson was that. He was more of an exterior guy, though. He doesn't you know, provide for the inside off-ball linebackers and allow that so much attention gets made on those interior guys that the guys behind them kind of get lost in the shuffle sometimes. That doesn't mean that Reuben Foster was, ran free every play and you know, offensive coordinators didn't take him into account. It's that they were, it was kind of like a pick your poison kind of thing. It's like, I mean, and you got to get the guy that's directly in front of you blocked first. That's the priority. And it made the jobs of the inside linebackers a lot easier. And I don't think it's a coincidence that kind of, you know, Dylan Moses was the last part of that, what we thought was going to be an elite wave of linebacker after linebacker because Rashawn Evans was also in that group, you know, in the 2015, 2016 uh, 2017 groups, and it had some of those types of players on those rosters. I would say that the only one, you know, going back and looking, uh, 2012 CJ Mosley, that guy, that cat was incredible. He had Jesse Williams, he had Ed Stinson, Damian Square, Jeffrey Pagan, uh, Quentin Dahl, he had Adrian Hubbard and Xavier Dixon. 
on the exterior. I mean, he, he didn't have a ton of just elite talent in front of him, and the guy still balled. So it's not that these guys aren't good enough where they can overcome, but I think there's something to be said. I think there's a correlation between lacking that guy that just commands attention on every snap and the decline of your play of your inside linebackers. And what the reason I bring all that up is, Jimmy, I think Jaheim Otis is going to be that guy next. Yeah, I, I, was, I, I think – and it's a great example of, you know, Otis might not dent the stat line, but he's still having a huge impact on the game. I think as a headline reading society, we're also a box score reading society. And the fact of the matter is, if the other team, uh, the, let's say the play call is just a power, a, a power run play, a zone, the zone power, where you're, you're pulling a guard, uh, and 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 you're going to run behind the guard, uh, behind an a gap. That's the play call, and they snap the ball, and Jaheim Otis destroys the center, destroys the guard who tried to get a hand on him, gets in the backfield. Now, does Otis tackle the running back? No, but the running back stops in his tracks and now the running back has to bounce it outside one more gap left or right than he planned. And I say, than he planned than the whole offensive line plan. Now the blocking scheme doesn't match where the back was supposed to be back back's gone somewhere else. The back had to ad lib because the ball was snapped. The back gets the ball and he looks up and all he sees in front of him is a crimson or crimson 91 is just right in front of him about to swallow him alive He's got to ad lib and bounce it outside, and then he ends up only making about a yard and a half before an Alabama linebacker or safety gets up and makes the play. Does Jaheim Otis get any credit for that on, in the box score at all? He doesn't get a tackle. He doesn't get an assist. He doesn't get a quarterback pressure. But what did he do? He was 100% responsible for blowing up the play, 100% responsible for wrecking the entire plan of the offense on that snap. And that's what he does. And he did it all last season. And you can't judge Jaheim Otis by his tackles or his assists or his quarterback pressures or his sacks. But you have to watch the games. You have to watch what each player is doing. And if you watch the games, then you are blown away by what Otis was able to do as a freshman. He consistently beat blocks. He consistently got in the backfield, even if he just stood there and altered what the offensive plans are. Because that's what defenders do. That's what impactful defenders do. They change the offense's plan. They're, hey, we're going to run the ball. Well, we tried to run it, and then Otis was there. Or, well, we wanted a three-step drop and, and, and throw a 15-yard out to the receiver. But by the time we made our three-step drop, Will Anderson and Dallas Turner were both in the quarterback's face. The quarterback had to throw it on his two-and-a-half-step drop, threw it too soon, ball, ball was incomplete. Well, Will and Dallas didn't get a sack, but you know what? They wrecked the play. And, and Alabama's pretty good about that. And I think Otis might be the best Alabama defensive lineman at wrecking plays than anybody we've had in a while, even if you won't have a sexy stat line. This is why I have compared him to Jordan Davis, because this is what Jordan Davis did for Georgia's defense. Yes. Everybody was – this guy was in the Heisman conversation. Everybody was like, oh, man, this guy's got two and a half tackles for loss and one and a half sacks, and you've got him in the Heisman conversation. This is absolutely insane. It's because of the way that he impacted the game. Every time an opposing offensive coordinator stepped on the football field, it was where's Jordan Davis, how is he going to try to wreck us this week, and how in the world can we maybe try to work our way around it? And here's the thing. Look at, look at Georgia's inside linebackers compared to their defensive line. I mean, you had Jordan Davis last year, and you had Jalen Carter. So you had two absolute game wreckers. That's pretty rare. Alabama's had it before. Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. Not saying that it can't happen. It's just aligning those two things. And Devontae Wyatt was a good player. I would put him more in the category of the Jerron Reeds and the Ashawn yeah. Robinsons. And, Absolutely. And, yeah. I mean, but great complimentary piece. And, I mean, even if, uh, you know, the, the other two guys wouldn't have been there, if you got enough Devontae Wyatt, you're going to have a good defensive line. But really what made, makes them tick is the fact that they had two guys in Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis who on a snap-to-snap basis, it's like, what What are we going to do? How are we getting both these guys blocked? And they took up so much of the opposing offensive coordinator's attention or just the offense in general's attention. You've got Quay Walker. You've got N'Kobe Dean. You've got Channing Tindall. I mean, all three of those guys, uh, first-round, second-round draft picks. I mean, you know, N'Kobe Dean, due to shoulder issues, fell to the third yeah. round. 
but he was supposed to be better than he was better than all of them in college. Better than all of them, really. And I mean, yeah. so they had three inside linebackers who essentially looked like superstars. And guess what? They were playing behind that style of defensive lineman, two of them. So just so happens that when you got two of them, three linebackers can look like Mr. Everything uh, playing behind them. It's funny how that works. And so with the defensive line, I think it's more so about identifying that, at least getting that one player who, you know, when he steps on the field, and this is where Jaheim just comes into play so much, it's where's this guy at? But you know where he's going to be. It's not like they're going to move him all over the defensive front necessarily, but it's, it's how can we limit his ability to impact our game plan based off of the game plan that we build. But by doing that, you're presenting opportunities for the off-ball linebackers. And there's just so much attention. It's like the entire week, it's like, hey, you got a hog in front of you this week. You know, talking to your interior offensive lineman, how are you going to get this guy blocked? There's such an emphasis put on that that you forget about the, the second line of defense because, like I said, it's all about the guy who's lined up right in front of you first. If you don't get him blocked, it doesn't matter what's happening or how good the guy is behind him. So uh, that's the priority, and that's how Jaheim Otis, in my opinion, is going to be vastly different than anything that we've seen on Alabama's defensive front in the last couple of years. And that includes like the Raekwon Davises of the world and such really good players. And Alabama's had a lot of those. And it's a reason that Jimmy can say they've had one of the best defensive lines in the country, but just they've lacked that style of guy. And I think that's impacted the way the defensive line has been perceived. And I think it's impacted the way the the off-ball linebackers have been perceived. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely affected the inside linebacker. No, no, no question that's true. Uh, and, and I know a lot of Alabama fans question the, the, the quality of play at inside linebacker. You know, again, you can look back on Reuben Foster and Rolando and Dante Hightower and C.J. Mosley and, and can point out, oh, we don't have a dude like that. No, probably not. But you know what? Christian Harris started there for three years. He's now a quality NFL linebacker. Uh, Toa Toa, who, who took a lot of heat from fans, uh, he might go day two of this draft. Certainly high in day three. Uh, he looks like a pro player uh, to me. Uh, Deontay Lawson might be our best one in a while. Dylan Moses was on his way to being an all-SEC linebacker. He just had injury problems. So, I, again, I, I think it's sort of like the defensive line. It, it, it's not good enough, but there's not many that are better. There's not many that are consistently producing NFL players at that spot. Alabama's continuing to do so, will continue to do so. And now maybe with a Jaheim Otis in front of you, you know, the beneficiary of that is going to be Deontay Lawson, Trez Marshall, Justin Jefferson, these guys that are going to be new uh, inside linebackers. And, you know, Boyd B and Tim Smith are good players too. They're, again, I think they're more Byron Young, Phil Mathis types than Marcel Darius. But again, hey, I always say if you don't have a star, then what you need is depth of talent. And Alabama's got that. Yeah, they really do. And, and one thing about the off-ball linebackers, you know, I, I do think that there's been kind of a a lack of alpha mentality, like just somebody that just, you know, he feels like he just wants to to destroy somebody on every single play. You know, the Reuben Fosters of the world, the, the Rashawn Evans of the world. I would say that Alabama's had a lot of Sean Deion Hamiltons, where it's like, I mean, if he doesn't get hurt as often as he got hurt in college, he gets drafted probably a lot higher than he did falling to what, the sixth round? Um, even coming off a knee injury and just the injury history, he still went sixth round. You know, I think he's a third round pick fourth round pick at the latest uh, potential second, but I'll probably say somewhere in that third from a talent standpoint, good player, very intelligent, knew where he was supposed to be kind of a playmaker, you know, had an act for making plays and stuff. I would say that Alabama's had a bunch of those, but the Reuben Fosters kind of the, the, the dynamic, kind of the same thing we're talking about with the defensive front where it's like, you've had a lot of really good players, but you're lacking kind of that guy, you know, Nick Kobe Dean for Georgia, you know, I think with Quay Walker and Channing Tindall, those are good players. Um, a lot of traits that you like can be very successful in the next level. I didn't look at either one of those two guys and saw Alpha, you know. So I, I think that there's some work that needs to be done on that front, too. I think that they could possibly have that with some of the guys they have not only coming in. I, I love Justin Jefferson. He just, he, when I've watched him on tape, I have no idea what his personality's like. You know, I haven't been able to get around him or anything. He comes off as an alpha to me, though, just in the, the way that he plays. Very aggressive, loves getting downhill. We'll see where that goes. Um, next question on the list from rad lad and it says outside of caleb downs which freshman could you see playing early is the early playing time due to sheer talent or lack of quality depth of the position a true freshman that plays most of the time i mean you know it's not one size fits all 
I'll give a good a good example uh, about three, and I'll fly through them quickly. Caleb Downs, uh, already mentioned by the the posters, who obviously knows what he's talking about. Caleb Downs is just, I think, I think from what I know, from what I hear from inside the program, from what I know from the highlight tape, Caleb Downs is a freak, like Minka Fitzpatrick, like Julio Jones, like Derrick Henry. He, he's just a freak. And by that, I mean, you're not supposed to show up to an SEC football team and be one of the best players on the, on the whole team. But that's Caleb. He's showing up one of the best players on the team. It's so rare. The only people in the whole world that don't think it's rare are Alabama fans that are fans during the Nick Saban era. We're the only ones who don't, who don't understand how rare it is because we see it almost annually because that's how Nick Saban recruits. But Caleb Downs, that's one-way true freshman play. You're just a freak, and you show up one of the best players on the team, and that's why Caleb Downs will play. Now, let's use another freshman. Here's Justice Haynes. Alabama's good at running back. I think Jace McClellan is good. He's not awesome. Let's be honest. He's not awesome. He's good. Jam Miller has a chance to be awesome. I, I think Jam Miller's ceiling is much higher than Jace's and I think Jam Miller can be a better player than Jace and he's probably going to prove this fall that he's he's probably going to bite into Jace's snaps and and sort of end up sharing the spot with Jace as I see it and Rory Dell Williams much like Jace he's good let's not overdo it he's good I think I'd compare him to Rory Upchurch but I'm not even sure he's Rory Upchurch but I'd compare him to that he's fine Justice Haynes might just be too good. He might be too good. Justice Haynes may prove, he may get an opportunity and prove that, hey, Alabama's good at running back. They can win with what they've got, but Justice is just too good to keep off the field. Not a freak like Caleb, but just too good not to play and too talented not to play. Other times, you have 2019 at inside linebacker where the plan was Dylan Moses, and fifth-year senior Josh McMillan. That's the plan. Dylan and Josh. And we, we got an athlete. We got an experienced guy. And this is the plan. And then everybody gets hurt. And now it's, well, thank goodness we recruit well enough to where we can put Christian Harris and Shane Lee to highly recruited linebackers that at least have SEC bodies. At least we can put them out there. And what did we get with them? A little feast and, a, and, and too much famine. But some feast. They did some good things. They weren't ready. They had to play. And what I want our fans to do a better job of is understanding the difference between a freshman who shows up and beats everybody out. Caleb's going to show up and beat out these upperclassmen. Justice may take snaps from Jace and Jam because he's so good. And if those guys do that and get on the field and then maybe they make a mistake like they fumble – or Caleb misses a tackle and gives up a score, I think it's okay to say, hey, Caleb, that sucks. Justice, what the heck are you doing fumbling the football? But the freshmen that we end up criticizing are the ones that are playing because they have to. Shane Lee and Christian Harris had to play. There was no one else. This was all – they didn't earn those spots. They they, 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 they were this, the only ones left standing. And what do we do as fans? You're terrible. He shouldn't be out there. You know, it's different. You know, it's all different. And And – all freshmen aren't one size fits all. Every case is a little different than the next case. But in the end, a true freshman plays because of two things. He's incredibly talented. And second, the opportunity to play was there. Because I don't care how good Quay Rousseau shows up. Quay Rousseau is going to show up. He's going to be pretty good. He's not going to move ahead of Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell. He's just not. I mean, those are ready for the NFL older kids. And while Quay Russell may have the talent, he won't have the opportunity. Caleb Downs has talent plus opportunity because Alabama lost all those defensive backs to the NFL draft. Exactly. I think you pretty much nailed it. And, and with the the defensive line, it's like, you know, that's another thing that we probably don't talk about enough. 2019, DJ Dale, Justin Aboibe, Byron Young. You had a lot of defensive linemen who were true freshmen who were kind of getting forced into the mix earlier than you know a lot of people had anticipated or expected. And here's the thing. One thing that's kind of made Alabama Alabama has been their ability to – they've got enough talent and they've kind of 
set things up in a way where guys are developing and peaking at the right time, where it's constantly like next man up, this guy's ready. Okay, this guy's ready. And, and you find yourself in those DJ Fluker situations like we talked about earlier in the episode, you know, where you kind of, it's like, we don't have anybody else. You got to get out there. I um, mean, it is, it is what it is. But for the most part, freshmen at Alabama are set up where if you're on the field, it's due to your ability to beat out competition and you're just that much better. And that can be in a number of different ways. In the Caleb Down situation, it might be an every down roll. In other situations, it might be more in, 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 a, in a very specific way, like in down and distances. Like Alabama's always done a pretty good job of putting their young guys in a position where they can be successful. If there's something that they're not good at, they don't force them out there and and say, hey, learn how to do that. You know, if it's if they're more of a they're not a great run stopper, uh, you know, a defensive lineman. It's like, but you're you're ready to contribute as a pass rusher. It's like we have the other guys ahead of you, the more experienced players that we can play in those other situations where we can trust them to get the job done in those situations. But where we you can help us, we can get you out there in those specific situations. It's become a little bit more difficult with the hurry up offense because offenses will attack you in a way where they really try to exploit those things. So it, you know, it, with defensive linemen and rotation and things like that, it's become more difficult. But you know, in most situations, freshmen are getting on the field because of their ability to kind of rise to the occasion. And with the transfer portal, it's done the same thing, right? I mean, it's it's allowed Nick Saban and, and the Alabama coaching staff to go out <clears throat> and they can target a, a, a position of need. You know, Cameron Latou ends up moving on to the NFL. He exhausted his eligibility. I mean, he could have come back technically, but there was no reason for him to pretty much at this point. He is who he is. Maybe Alabama doesn't feel comfortable with where Amari Neblack and some of those guys are at. What do they do? They go to the transfer portal. Instead of saying, you know, Amari Neblack, hey, you've got to figure it out. We need you right now. And it's going to look ugly in some situations. They can say, okay, you know, we can go find a guy who can help us right now and do the things that we need them to do on a more consistent basis while you still try to figure things out. And so when I look at Caleb Downs, certainly a guy who I think is going to be out there pretty regularly, if not full-time. You know, I think Caden Proctor is a guy who was eventually going to get onto the football field. I would be shocked if he didn't, but it, I mean, it's possible. But it's not through, oh, Alabama doesn't have any other options. I think Darian Dalcourt's a fine option. Is he a great option? Maybe not, uh, but he's a fine option. You know, I think Terrence Ferguson would prove to be a good option. It's not like it's like, oh, we got nobody other than Caden Proctor. He's got to be the guy. Uh, so if he ends up getting on the field, you know, it's because he was just, you know, better. You know, Tyler Booker last year, perfect example of that. You the returning starters at both your two guard spots, multi-year starters, and, you know, uh, Tyler Booker just, I mean, the Alabama would have been fine with those two guys continuing to be the starters at guard. But Tyler Booker was so good, he found his way onto the field in a rotational role. They did something they've never done before. He ended up having a lot of success in that type of rotation, and the entire unit could it have been better with, with purely Tyler Booker. I personally think so, but I think that the unit was at least better than it would have been you know, with, with just Cohen and, and Ekior Jr. So I would say that Proctor's someone who is going to get on the field at some point. You know, I think James Smith, situationally, uh, I thought he looked great in the photo that I saw of him. He looks leaned down. He looks ready to go. Uh, if you've got that Jaheim Otis style of player who's just commanding so much attention, and then even if it's just, you know, I, I think James Smith's a pretty balanced guy and can help you in a lot of different ways, but you know, if there's something you feel like it, that he can specifically do, whether it be for your run defense, whether it be as an interior pass rusher or whatever, I think he'll get involved and be in the rotation. Uh, I think Keon Keeley, despite the fact that he's not an early enrollee, I think at some point the balance that he brings as far as his run-stopping ability and pass rushing upside kind of works well in a four-man front, in my opinion. So I think that he'll probably get in the mix in some way. Uh, I don't think it's going to be replacing Chris Braswell or Dallas Turner necessarily, but I can see him being so good that it's hard to keep him off the field. Jimmy, is there anybody else that's really standing out there? Yeah, I think uh, Jalen Hale could be a guy that, again, kind of much like Justice Haynes, uh, I, I think we're fine at running back. I don't think there's a need. We don't need a freshman to get ready fast because we got to have somebody. It's not that at all. I just think like Justice Haynes may end up being too good to keep off the field. I think Jalen Hale could be a too good to keep off the field guy that – earns his way into a rotation as as does James Smith. But in terms of like freshman starters, again, that you need some opportunity there unless you're just a freak. Like I said, Caleb Downs shows up one of the best players on the team. But that, that's just so rare. Uh Caden Proctor, I think, would be a kid that has a may have an opportunity uh and, and may be good enough, you know, but it, but 
I don't think this group will be full of freshman starters. Maybe, maybe those one or two, and then some others that play. To me, if you play with the first team, you're a starter. You you might not be out there on the first snap, but if you're playing with the first team, if you play in the first quarter against LSU, you're a starter. I I could not care less that you weren't out there for the first snap. Yeah, I mean, it, did anybody consider DJ Dell not a starter last year, even though he had started the three previous years and. You know, he wasn't out there for the first snap. That was Jaheim Otis. So, you know, DJ Dale is no longer considered a starter. I mean, he was still considered a starter. So, yeah, I, I've always – I align perfectly with you when it comes to the way that we view starters for sure. Um, and I think with Justice Haynes, I mean, perfect example of a guy who, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot of buzz about him. He's got a chance to kind of work his way into the mix. Uh, even more so than him, though, Jalen Hill. That's a guy that I love his talent. think he's going to be a great player. If he ends up on the football field – in any significant capacity this year, one of two things has happened. They've had just a run of unfortunate injuries at the position, or he is going to be the next superstar receiver in college football. And I mean superstar because there's just, there's so many, you got the experienced guys with Corey Brooks and, and Jermaine Burton. You've got the guys who are coming back. Who's kind of the mix between the talent and the experience, you know, the sophomores, you've got Malik Benson coming in. There's just so many different guys in front of him that if he can overcome all that, the experience with some, the the talent with some of the others, and he works his way onto the field as a true freshman in any significant capacity, I mean, he's your next superstar receiver in college football. And I'm not I'm not going to say that he's not capable of that because he's certainly capable. So it just, yeah, I mean, you could very well end up seeing something like that happen. But if a fan sees the the name Hell on the field at any point early, just know he's he's going to be a cat for sure. And we're not counting Malik Benson and Justin Jefferson, maybe yeah. like we should. Uh, I mean, but but they, Malik, I think is going to be the best receiver on the team. I, I just don't consider him a freshman, right? The same. <laughs> yeah, I should, but but to me, but, but Malik's going to be one of the best players on the team, and maybe the best wide receiver. Yeah, and and, and I'm I'm a huge fan of Justin Jefferson. You know, the more he shows up at two twenty five, the, the 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 size isn't nearly as much of a concern. The front that he's going to have in front of him, I think that fits with his skill set of just working his way downhill in a hurry, uh, great closing speed and all that. I think it just fits. And so the the more I think about it, the more excited I get about his potential in Alabama's defense. So I think he's going to be a really good player if he gets the opportunities. No no guarantees. I feel a lot better about Malik Benson, obviously, but I'm excited about Jefferson as well. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Mammon 3 Show. We're running out of time once again. We've we've mastered the the hour-plus long podcast, Jimmy. Which I'm fond with. I love it, man. I could do this for, you know, twelve hours, and, and who we knows? could go another hour uh, for easy. sure. Yeah, there, there's just there's so much that we didn't talk about, but we're gonna try to get another episode in this week. No guarantees. That, and I don't want to make promises and say, well, we're definitely gonna do this, but uh, Jimmy and I are wanting to try to get into a week. Uh, we had to bump it back because I was dealing with food poisoning. Um, I've had a terrible run uh, of sicknesses lately, but. I'm feeling great now. That's all that matters. I'm glad that we were able to hop on here, and uh, we'll hopefully get to talk to you guys soon. So, Jimmy, uh, less than a minute to go, but I appreciate you hopping on with me, buddy. Oh, always fun. Can't wait for the next show. We get such good questions, and uh, if you're listening to this and you're not a member of Bam Insider, uh, man, go go fix that today. Give Absolutely. yourself an early Christmas present. All these discussions that we're having, Jimmy and I, we're also having on the Talk of Champions message boards, going back and forth. It, it's a lot of fun. We appreciate all the subscribers over there. We will talk to you guys soon. Once again, this is the Bama on three show. I'm your host, Clint Lamb.